Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. Roger Marsh here. Check it in for this uh, next to last, the penultimate Thursday of the month of uh, September. And I'm glad you tuned into the broadcast today. So much to discuss. And, uh, you know, these are reports that we share from time to time with you that we would call our prayers needed segment of the Bottom Line Show. As a matter of fact, if you go to thebottomlineshow.com, and you take a look at the articles that Tamara posts. One of the things that I, I truly appreciate, we got a couple of calls this past week from people who have said, gosh, something that I heard on this program really challenged my faith. Uh, someone else called and said, gosh, uh, <laughs> challenged my faith in the sense that I'm kind of torn up on the elections and I'm not quite sure about guys like Trump, but if they show up, they're going to run again in 24. It, it sounds like you guys are promoting something I'm not with, but uh, nonetheless, I'm going to hang in there with you anyway. And, you know, please know, it's not a presidential election year. Um, when it comes to Roger's recommendations, they're primarily for our California listeners um, with regard to uh, the propositions and local elections and things of that nature. We do also use My Faith Votes and we use iVoterGuide.com and uh, Craig Huey's Election uh, Forum are three great resources where you can get very comprehensive uh, look at what you can do to, uh, you know, live out your faith in the public square with your vote. And I believe very, you know, again, I'm not here to tell you how to vote. I'll make my recommendations. But uh, I believe your vote is a gift from God that you, you know, when Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, paying taxes, being a good citizen, maybe running for office and even voting. Um, I think that's part of that equation. So that's where that all lands. Uh, it's interesting, though, because there are things that happen around the world. And sometimes we might take a look at world events and say, well, uh, I'm far more concerned with what's going on here locally because that really does speak to the influence that I can have. And I get it. At the same time, though, I want to encourage us as Christians to remember the fact that we are part of the church universal, which is also the church triumphant, in my humble opinion. And um, one of the things that makes the church triumphant so wonderful is the fact that we have brothers and sisters who are literally, I mean, think about this. We have brothers and sisters who are at every corner of the world right now, some of our brothers and sisters are uh, experiencing tremendous success and growth in terms of numbers, more and more people coming to faith in Christ. I'd be willing to wager, though I'm not a gambling man, but I'd be willing to wager that proportionally God is doing a greater evangelistic work all over the world than he is right here in the States. I wish that were not true. I mean, I wish that the, the U.S. was actually stepping up and uh, we were carrying our fair share, but something tells me that the reality is that uh, you're seeing more people coming to faith in Christ from the Muslim community and Jewish community and atheistic community in different parts of the world than you are here in the States. I mean, and so perhaps our role in the body of Christ right now is to pray for and provide resourcing for uh, the church that's doing the heavy lifting. And if that's in fact the case, then glory to God, let's go ahead and do what we can to uh, uh, fulfill our role, whatever that role is. But as we are prayer warriors for our brothers and sisters of the church all over the world, I need to share this story about what happened in Cameroon because it does remind us that um, we should not be negligent in obviously financial support, but also praying for our brothers and sisters who are going through these horrific uh, uh, situations right now. Um, five priests, a nun, and two other church parishioners uh, were kidnapped after a group of gunmen broke into a Catholic church in West Cameroon. They set the church on fire as they were kidnapping and pillaging and that type of stuff. Uh, it would be, it would be uh, well, to put it mildly, the region has been a scene of some pretty bloody conflict between uh, separatists and the country's government for several years. The people who were taken from it, the place is called St. Mary's Church in Nashang, remain missing as of earlier this week. Bishops of the ecclesiastical province of Bamaneda, uh, excuse me, Bamenda, saying they expressed their shock and utter horror of what had happened. And the archbishop there, Andrew Nakia, said that the kidnappers literally had given no concrete reason for the attacks and the kidnapping. The bishops say that they, of course, strongly condemn the attacks. Um, and it, it, so it, it appears that those who have taken the priests and the nun and the Christians um, they're asking for them to be released. This is a f official statement from uh, Cameroon. 
We insist on this because this act has now crossed the line and we must say that enough is enough. A wave of persecutions against the hierarchy of the church is now the new game of the quote-unquote struggle and all kinds of threat messages are sent out against missionaries who have surrendered their lives to work for the people. Now, what's interesting about this, Cameroon's security forces have been battling rebel groups there that are seeking independence for the country's northwestern part and also the southwestern part. That's called the Anglophone region. They want to create a new country, Ambazonia, um, where it's French and other parts of the area, but English is kind of the native here. Now, unlike other parts like Nigeria and other countries where we've shared with you about how challenging it is to be a Christian, um, in Cameroon, basically two-thirds of the population are Christian and another 30% are Muslim. So this is definitely an area where you see that the church is experiencing a certain level of persecution, but it's not because there simply are, you know, not enough numbers, not enough ways to, you know, you think about what Dennis Wilson, Wilson Financial talks about in Niger and Burkina Faso and the challenges they face there. You're talking about 95% of the country radicalized Muslim and the other 5% are either moderate Muslim or Christian. So that's a challenge there for sure. But here's a place where Christianity basically rules the roost in Cameroon. And yet, um, you know, quite frankly, the Catholic Church there has been targeted. Um, attackers, you recall that last February, uh, there were 32 people who were killed in Cameroon, including a pregnant woman and 14 children in the English-speaking region of Cameroon. So, uh, Lord, we come before you right now lifting up our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in Cameroon. We know, Father, that uh, there's a little, yeah, it's kind of interesting to see how the makeup is with regard to the people who are of the body of Christ there and how many people profess faith in you. And yet to see our brothers and sisters being abducted and a church being destroyed yet again, uh, we come before you and we ask for your favor. We ask for your protection and your for your provision. And Lord, if a new nation uh, in, their, in, in the northwestern and southwestern part of Cameroon will provide a certain measure of uh, uh, religious relief. I pray, Father, that uh, you would actually um, do what you can, uh, do what you will in this area to have uh, our brothers and sisters live a life where you, it, it's simply the tenets of what Jesus prayed in John 17. Not that you would take them out of that area, but that you would protect them as they do your work and, and speak to your will. And we ask all these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, and all God's children said, amen. We'll take a quick break, and as we continue uh, taking a look at the governor of California, who continues to amaze with regard to um, one of the issues that has become a big campaign issue for the left, and I, I want to help you understand, because um, it's taken me a while to understand, to be quite honest with you, how the overturning of Roe versus Wade really did turn into a big fundraising point and even a rallying cry for progressives in the Democratic Party. And what is California doing to double down on this? Oh, boy. <laughs> well, not only are the ads running in California, but there's a new series of ads that are running in states all across the country. And the reason that these ads are running is because California is going all in on the abortion issue. And a new billboard campaign has launched, and Governor Newsom's quite proud of it. I'll tell you exactly what's going on. Coming up next as the bottom line continues. Want to continue receiving income into retirement with little market risk? Dennis Wilson and Wilson Financial Services can help you secure a permanent income and benefits addressing your risk tolerance with professional advisory knowledge. You have a large 401k or IRA as your retirement nest egg. How about a four-dimensional plan that will pay you and your spouse income for life without stock market risk? How about we include inflation benefits so your income goes up annually? How about we include extra income benefits for long-term care? And if you need one or both, you both have it. That's right, permanent income inflation benefits, long-term care benefits with no market risk. We have put over $50 million of our clients' money in the 4D account in the last few years. These clients are sleeping way better at night. Learn more when you call Wilson Financial today at 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. I've just shaken my head when I see this. I'll be honest with you. The day that Roe versus Wade passed or the, the overturning of Roe versus Wade passed. 
It's June 24th, 2022. I'll never forget it. You remember exactly where you were when the announcement was made. And I caught wind of it, I think, first thing in the morning. And it turns out that day, my wife was out of town and I had to go run an errand. Uh, it's kind of, we'd just gotten a new vehicle and it needed the windows tinted. So Lisa was doing what she needed to do out of town and I was getting the windows tinted. So I went to the glass place, a nice Christian businessman. We had a nice uh, time of fellowship there, a couple hours. I'm there getting all the windows tinted and whatever. As I pulled out of his place of business, I pulled onto the main highway by where he is. And I saw a, an ad. It was a billboard. It was a sign that basically said, it, it said, welcome to California. And the California was spelled out in, you know, the kind of 50s, 60s type of lettering that has, it's kind of incursive, but it outlines a whole variety of different uh, things that people do, you know, in California, the sun, the surf, et cetera, et cetera. And basically the billboard said, welcome to California where abortion will always be legal. And I thought to myself, wow, they knew this day was coming and boy, were they ready for it. Well, California, it, it, it's a little, it's probably a not very well-kept secret. California is one of the five states in the United States that is responsible for more than half of the abortions. The abortion rights activists will try to tell you it's all across the country and boy, howdy, you know, women everywhere and blah, 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 blah. Well, here's the reality. Planned Parenthood has about 665 locations in 50 states. Do the math. And that means that they have approximately an average of 10 to 12 Planned Parenthoods in every state. Now, you know, there are some states that don't have any Planned Parenthoods and there are some states that don't have any abortion clinics for that matter. But this is a big state issue. And the states that are really, I mean, responsible for the highest number of abortions, as you might imagine, are the states with the highest level of population. California, New York, Florida, Texas, and Illinois. That's where approximately 50 to 55% of all the abortions performed in the United States happen in one of those five states. And the other 48% or so in the other 45 states and the District of Columbia. As a matter of fact, I was talking to a friend and colleague who is uh, well-heeled in the pro-life industry, and he said not only is it limited to those five states, but there are six zip codes in New York, in two of the boroughs each, uh, Queens and Bronx, something like that, where they're literally called dead zones because those are the places where there are more babies aborted every year than actual live births. But check this out. I mean, <laughs> and this is really interesting. Gavin Newsom, California's governor, thought he had a shot at being the vice presidential nominee in 2020. And then his COVID handling, which was so great at the beginning, turned out to be illegal. And then they decided they needed a girl instead of a guy. And they needed someone who's biracial or at least black, because that's the way Democrats think. And I don't, I don't say that. There's no malice there. I mean, look at my wedding pictures. There is no malice there. That the, the identity politics are strong with the Democrat Party. And Gavin Newsom and Joe Biden on the same ticket just didn't work. So now Governor Newsom is trying to put his hat in the ring again, and he sees an opportunity. You see Ron DeSantis in Florida and Greg Abbott in Texas and Tate Reeves in Mississippi. Boy, I'll tell you what, those guys are conservative firebrands, but now here's what uh, Gavin Newsom's doing. He's going right after him. Remember, those were all states that passed 15-week abortion bans before the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And so certainly... You're going to go after those. He ran ads during the governor's gubernatorial primaries in Florida. Gavin Newsom did. Basically to tell anybody who lives in Florida, hey, if you're a Californian who went to Florida, come on home. If you're a Floridian and you want to get out of this hostile environment, well, come to California. We support all your leftist crazy values. Hasn't stopped there. Ever since Roe versus Wade passed, Democrats have used this as a rallying cry. Women, your rights are being stripped. You look at any Democrat politician and the number one campaign issue that they have is abortion. Women are losing their rights. They don't have access to health care. And you know the thing that is really insulting about this? May I just kind of venture off the page for just a second? You know what's so insulting about this? Is that Democrat operatives think that Democrat voters are that dense. The idea that you could tell somebody, you're having, you're having your civil rights stripped away, your, your constitutionally protected rights stripped away, and they know that their crowd won't do anything more than listen to Katie Porter or Gavin Newsom, tell them that, and they'll go, yeah, that's an outrage. I mean, open a newspaper? Maybe one that's different? 
than the one you read all the time, the Los Angeles Times or, uh, you know, the Chinese News Network or more stuff nobody cares about, MSNBC. Um, the, except for progressives, it just it's the echo chamber. Well, California is doubling down. California wants to be the abortion capital of the world. Why would they possibly want to be the abortion capital of the world? One word, money. If there were no money in abortion, California would not be promoting it so heavily. Full stop. Half the states of the union, abortion is still legal. But California is recruiting. As a matter of fact, there's a new billboard campaign that's running all across the country in states like Texas and Oklahoma and Mississippi. They've chosen four other states that they have decided are anti-freedom states. Either because abortion is completely banned or significantly restricted. So Gavin Newsom tweets out in different states. Here's the one he tweeted out in, uh, uh, in Indiana, for example. To any woman seeking an abortion in these anti-freedom states, California will defend your right to make decisions about your health. That's how they put it. And Indiana does not own your body. Here's one for Mississippi. At Tate Reeves, the people of Mississippi deserve to know they have access to the care you are refusing to provide. This will be launching in your state today. Need an abortion? California is ready to help. Learn more at, there's a website too, abortion.ca.gov. Both of these ads, by the way, if you're a Democrat and you're trying to support Gavin Newsom's re-election campaign, ask yourself the question, why does Gavin Newsom running these ads help the state? Because more money. People will come here. They'll stay in hotels. If they've got insurance policies that will cover abortion, and some large companies actually do have insurance policies that will cover this type of thing. You see, here's the loophole. The policy doesn't say, go get an abortion in a state that performs an abortion if your state won't let you get an abortion. What it says is that there's a medical procedure that you need to have done, and you can't get it done in your state. And we're talking hip replacement, knee replacement, heart surgery, cancer treatment, whatever. If your state doesn't have the means to treat you for that that cause, then you can use MetLife or whatever and travel from one state to the next. They cover your travel costs. They reimburse your hotel, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Okay. Well, now abortion is being lumped into that. I think Citibank and Chase and Coca-Cola and some other companies are doing the very same thing. And Governor Newsom wants a piece of that pie. Woo, doggy, he wants that. Never mind the fact that about one out of every five abortions in the U.S. happens in California. He wants more money. No, Roger, he wants to provide more health care. Hogwash, he wants more money. And it's not just for Planned Parenthood, it's for the other abortion clinics as well. By the way, Planned Parenthood is a federally qualified health clinic, all 665 of them. They offer abortifacients, but they also offer birth control and they do pap smears and things like that. Do you know that with the exception of the morning after pill and the full-blown abortion, you get exponentially better care at an actual federally qualified healthcare clinic of which there are 14,000 in the United States. Here's the thing, though, that is such a mind bend about Gavin Newsom. Not that they have abortion.ca.gov as a website. Not that he's going into Oklahoma and trying to recruit women there. But you would not believe. First, But the bottom, bottom of the ad, it says paid for by Newsom for California governor 2022. But then he has the audacity to include scripture at the bottom of the ad for abortion. I kid you not. There is actually, I'm looking at the ad that runs in Mississippi right now. It actually includes a Bible verse. Which Bible verse, you might be asking? Oh my goodness. Well, it's one that gets quoted often by people on the left who don't like things that Christians are doing. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. 
Somebody, I mean, the idea, Texas doesn't own your body. Indiana doesn't own your body. The idea that the governor of California is running ads on his campaign dime and including scripture to justify abortion is mind-boggling. Can we get a little context? Is it possible that maybe he may have a point after all? We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Right after you get into an accident, you need to call Stephanie Cover of Cover Law to begin the process of healing. Too many people make the wrong choice and try to handle their case on their own. Don't be gullible. Your insurance company does not have your best interests in mind. Their job is to save money, not help you recover. Stephanie's priority is you. She will help you recover wholly, mind, body, and spirit, as well as get you the settlement you deserve. Begin your recovery by contacting Stephanie first and follow her instructions to streamline your healing process. Stephanie has over 25 years of experience and knows how to get you healed and restored. Although your friends and family may have good intentions, they are not personal injury attorneys, and therefore they do not know the best way to help you. Stephanie Cover does, and she will help you put the pieces back together financially, physically, and spiritually. You need to write down her number now, 877-214-4935, or go to kbrightradio.com slash Law. Your healing begins with Cover Law. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, still scratching my head over who in the Gavin Newsom for Governor re-election campaign decided that they needed to spend money outside of the state for need an abortion? California's ready to help. Now, I understand why he's running the ads outside of state. It's because he's doing so to show his constituents that he's very aggressive in bringing new business in. And he also wants to try to cover up the fact, or maybe wallpaper over the fact, that California's population has gone down since he took over as governor and they actually wound up losing a a congressional seat in the house of representatives because it's representative government which means if there aren't as many people in the population we only have 52 congress people now instead of 53 but this is really ridiculous at the bottom of the ad in Mississippi, for example, Gavin Newsom says, if you need an abortion, California is ready to help. Learn more at abortion.ca.gov. And then the quote from Mark 12:31: love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than this. Well, than these. Now, that's a partial quote, obviously. When Jesus is confronted, you know, in context and asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says in Mark 10 or excuse me, Mark 12, verses 30 and 31. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Well, he's quoting the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He quotes the Shema and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, no other commandment is greater than these. And that's because they basically encompass or encapsulate, if you will, all of the Ten Commandments into two. The idea that the governor of California would go into Texas, for example, and say, Texas doesn't own your body. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than this. Well, than these, actually, because you wouldn't get it all to fit on the billboard. The idea that the governor would try to quote scripture to justify abortion is reprehensible. Texas, Indiana, Mississippi, Ohio, South Carolina, South Dakota, and Oklahoma have these, uh, uh, these signs up. And uh, that California, that abortion.ca.gov thing, is, it's a million-dollar startup. Uh, by the way, um, the state is trying to become a sanctuary for abortion. And for us California residents, this is a $200 budget package that was funded by us to make California a sanctuary for abortion. Um, it's interesting because... Um, Uh, The website also informs undocumented immigrants where to get an abortion and how they can get Medicaid to pay for the procedure. It's all about money, brothers and sisters. But for any Christian who's considering voting for Gavin Newsom for re-electing him to office, this is who you're re-electing. I will put a link for this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. You know, it's interesting how many people will try to quote the New Testament try to avoid the Old Testament at all costs, unless it's convenient for them. And one of the books that gets quoted often, not all of the passages in this book get quoted, but the book of Psalms is quoted like crazy, whether it's 
worship music or, you know, remembering the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But what about the Psalms is it that really helps us to see God for who he really is and gives us more than just poetry and praise, but also gives us a little bit of prayer and prophecy? John Greco is an author, a self-described bibliophile and word geek, who has written a fascinating new devotional adventure through the book of Psalms. It's called The Ascent. And of course, if you know anything about, you know, science and things like that, uh, The Ascent is when you're going up and descent is going down. How many times do we as Christians say, I want to dig deeper into God's word. I want to get a more thorough understanding of what the word of God really means and how it would impact my life. And so I'm going to do a deep dive downward into the book of whatever it is. But when you get right down to it, when you think about the Psalms, I mean, the Psalms are really filled with a lot of what we would call mountaintop experiences. If you've ever had one, you know what I'm talking about. If you've never had one, you really owe it to yourself to have one. One of those, I went to the mountain for a, uh, you know, retreat center, whatever it's going to be. And um, I, I really met God. I was free from all distractions. I could kind of, you know, my problems look so much smaller when I'm way up high on the mountain. There's definitely that ascent gets you to where you can see and hear the the word of God a lot more clearly. But let's face it, there are some parts of the book of Psalms too that are just strange. We just kind of write them off as poetry, but we don't know where they fit in the life. Sometimes they're tough passages, but did you realize that if you look at all 150 Psalms from Psalm 127, that has two verses in it, 133, that is three, to Psalm 119, which is massive, you really get a chance to see the Bible story from Genesis to Revelation. John Greco is going to join me on the other side of this break, and we're going to have a conversation about his brand new devotional book. Again, it's called The Ascent, a devotional adventure through the book of Psalms, and we will be giving away a copy of the book at the end of our conversation, so make sure you have our phone number handy, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. John Greco talking about the book of Psalms coming up next as the bottom line continues. Lots of devotional books will take you through a short course of how to improve a marriage or maybe improve your outlook on life. But have you ever thought about a devotional adventure through the book of Psalms? Well, today here on The Bottom Line, I want to introduce you to a brand new resource. It's called The Ascent, a devotional adventure through the book of Psalms. John Greco is the man who was brave enough to take on this challenge, and he's joining me here to have a conversation about the book. John, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Oh, thank you, Roger. Thanks for having me. Why? Why this? Why now? I mean, a lot of devotional books, let's face it, they're designed for three weeks, four weeks. This is all 150 Psalms, including Psalm 119, which is no small task. What was it that led you to take this on? Well, so I've been in the in the devotional space for a long time, writing for various ministries and doing my own stuff. And and I really love the challenge of kind of writing through a book of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And normally when I do that, it's something narrative. It's something maybe an epistle of Paul. Um, but you know, a couple of years ago when the pandemic hit and everybody suddenly found themselves working from home, um, I found myself with extra time on my hands and just for my own personal, you know, devotion, I was going to read through the book of Psalms, read through a, you know, a Psalm each day. And what I discovered though, was what is that each Psalm is so rich with, um, redemption history. There's just the fingerprints of the Holy spirit all over this book. And each Psalm kind of kept inviting me deeper and deeper into the larger story that the Bible is telling. And so while I normally wouldn't have thought of, Hey, let me, let me, you know, write my way through the book of Psalms. It became this really cool way to kind of explore all of redemptive history. Got to look back on, on Israel's past, look ahead to, to the cross and to our lives now as uh, spirit filled believers. And so it just, it, it kind of came out naturally and, and, um, you know, just it was this kind of really cool uh, experience that like now I, I just love that I get to share with other people. I think that's wonderful. The title is interesting because oftentimes when I think about getting into a book of the Bible, I think about literally digging down deep, you know, kind of getting into the roots, getting into the soil. You're talking about the Psalms as more of kind of a mountaintop experience, if you will. What, what, what was the reasoning behind that? Well, part of it is that, you know, there's a section within the Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. And these were the Psalms that uh, you know, Israelite pilgrims would would uh, would sing on their way to Jerusalem for festivals. Um, so that's kind of the original thing. But then as I thought about it, I said, you know, we're all kind of on this pilgrimage, right? We're all going through 
um, going through this world on our way to the promised land, on our way to heaven, on our way to, to the Lord. And so, you know, it, it was, since I, since I kept seeing this kind of bigger picture of redemption history all throughout the Psalms, the idea of it being a, a, a devotional adventure um, with, as you said, mountaintops, right? Uh, yeah. It's a climb, right? You're, you're, you're going, you're going, yes, you're going deeper, but really what you're doing is you're, you're hopefully going closer and closer to the Lord as you discover more and more of his goodness, you're climbing up. When, um, when, so, yeah. Well, when you start digging into this and climbing up simultaneously, which I love the, you know, the juxtaposition of the two, they don't, the, the, the word pictures don't seem to match up. Right. But as you look at the different authors, I mean, help us understand, I mean, oftentimes we'll look at the Psalms and say, okay, the Psalms is kind of Old Testament poetry. We get some lyrics to some of our praise tunes out of this. Oh yeah. And I think David wrote most of them. Help us understand the framework of the Psalms that you had to establish before you could start diving into, you know, how we're going to get more time out of our study in this important book. Yeah. So the, there's a little bit of a challenge there. Like, as you mentioned, there, there are several authors to the Psalms. It's not all David. Um, and there's, there are many Psalms. We don't know who the author is. Um, there are some different theories into why the, the Psalms were collected the way they were, but then, you know, just as you start going, okay, that makes sense. Someone else, you know, you read some other scholar and they'll say, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. And here's why. And so I didn't, I didn't really get into that as much. What I wanted to do was take each Psalm at face value, um, dig in as much as I could based on what the Psalm itself said, or perhaps what a New Testament writer said, quoting that Psalm. Um, and discover kind of what was the historical context, what can, what can we know about uh, the time in which it was written or the, the, the um, you know, the, 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 the place in Israel's history. Um, and so what I, you know, th that's kind of the other piece of this is, as I mentioned, you know, I've done a lot of uh, devotional work in the past. And, you know, usually when you write devotionals, the idea is, you, know, you want something short, memorable, right. encouraging, but you don't really go deep. That's that's Bible study. That's something else. Right. And and this is a different kind of devotional because I try to do both. Right. I'm trying to uh, help readers kind of understand. Hey, this is the setting in which this was written, as best we can tell. Um, and here's kind of here are those uh, illusions or um, places where where the text itself is pointing us to other places in the Bible. It's kind of begging us to go look and read that story again and 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 fill our minds with what God was doing there. Um, and I can give you some examples of that if you'd like. But yeah, but yeah, the, the idea was basically um, I wanted this to be more of a you know, they're still not very long, but reading these, you're going to kind of get a taste of Bible study. You're going to come away going like, oh, and, and you know, not, not every time, but most of these Psalms, there's, there's that kind of, there's that content there. So I, I can give you an example. Yeah, well, um, let's do that. Okay, so Psalm 34, written by David, and it has this little um, script, you know, inscription ahead of the, the Psalm itself. I'll read it for you. It says, of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. Well, that is, you know, found in First uh, Samuel, First uh, Samuel twenty-one. It's uh, what happened. What, what's what's going on in that original context was that uh, King Saul is trying to kill David. David isn't king yet; he's been anointed, but but Saul wants him dead, and so Saul's on the, or excuse me, David's on the run, and so he he realizes Saul's got people all over Israel. So I'm going to hide where he can't find me, which is outside of the border. So he goes to Philistia. He goes to Gath, the hometown of. Goliath, right? So we all know the famous story of David and Goliath. So this is right. this is very a lot of chutzpah from David, right? He goes to the, the, <laughs> the, the town of his of his of his enemy, um, you know, who's who he killed years ago. And while he's there, people sort of figure out who he is, and the rumor starts to spread. Oh, David's here! David's here! And so David um, thinks, well, how can I get out of this? Oh, I'm, I'm going to pretend I'm crazy. There's no honor in killing a crazy person. Right. So he starts frothing at the mouth and banging on the doors and and people leave him alone and he's able to escape. So anyway, this Psalm is birthed out of that, out of that experience. Mm -hmm. He's praising God for his protection, mm -hmm. but then there's this kind of weird line in the Psalm. And I, when I, and this is always, when I read something like this, it catches my eye and I go, I got to dig in and find out what's going on here. And so Psalm 34 verse 1920, he says, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Hmm. And, I, and I started thinking about that and I'm going, what if David had broken a toe on his way out of town? Would God's protection have been any less? Hmm. You know, if he had a broken arm or, you know, some kind of injury, what, what is he getting at here? And so as I started digging in, I realized, you know, if I were an ancient uh, Israelite and I was reading these words from David, I would have immediately thought of the Passover lamb because right. that's what God said. Do not break any of its bones. 
And if you know the story of the Exodus, right, you know that um, the, the Passover lamb was a substitute. They, they killed the lambs. They spread the blood on, the, on their door right. frames and their houses, and, and the Lord passed over them. It was a substitute. And that uh, unblemished lamb whose bones were not broken became a symbol of the righteousness that the Israelites themselves didn't possess. And obviously, we point forward to Christ, and he is that lamb, right? right? And so what David's saying is God uh, views the righteous person, the person who trusts in him, as a spotless lamb, as somebody without any blemish, blemish, any impurity, any sin. And so, you know, that's just an encouragement for me walking and knowing my own sin, but knowing what Christ did for me. Mm. And that was all packed into that one little line <laughs> in that <laughs> one wow. Psalm with that background that's in first Samuel. And, you know, and, and this is the kind of stuff you discover. It's just, it's just amazing. It's got me all going back and forth throughout scripture and just loving what God is doing and his heart behind it all. I'll bet. And I can truly tell John Greco is with me today here on the bottom line, johngrecorights.com is the website. We're talking about his brand new book called The Ascent, a devotional adventure through the book of Psalms. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll take a quick break and come back with more of this conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues. John Greco is my guest today here on the bottom line. I'm Roger Marsh. johngrecorights.com is the website, which we have linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. His brand new book is called The Ascent. Now, this is a devotional book that has a ton of of background, of information, of history, uh, of, you know, good, good, good old exegesis. It's all, I mean, dig deeper into the scriptures. You will, after reading The Ascent, a journey through the book of Psalms, all 150 Psalms. And we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. As you were talking about Psalm 34, and I, I loved how you kind of dovetailed off of verse 18, which is one of my favorites, into the hope, the hope of the brokenhearted, into the, the breaking of the bones, and, and helping us to see the sacrificial lamb all the way through Jesus on the cross. It's amazing how many people will look at the book of Psalms, John, I want you to comment on this if you would, and say, I love the book of Psalms because it's kind of like a, not a timeout, but it's kind of like a breath of fresh air, right? You know, you're going through Old Testament history and battles and this, that, and the other thing, and then here come the Psalms, and they're so poetic, right? You know, there's a, they're praise songs to the Lord, not realizing that, say, was it uh, Psalm 51 was written right after the David and Bathsheba nonsense, and next thing you know, we say, well, we look at this and say, you know, cleanse me with this if and I will be clean, but not realizing that that was after Nathan confronted David and his sin. Um, talk about how the Psalms really do provide kind of a view, a glimpse of God's heart that we can see literally stringing from Genesis all the way through Revelation. That's not just limited to the book of Psalms. Yeah, no, and, and you're right. The, the Psalms, I don't want to present the idea that like the only way to read the Psalms is with this kind of, you know, study lens on where you're diving in deep at every verse and looking for right. hidden meanings. It's not, it's not that at all. Honestly, the reason I, I, you know, I wanted to dive into the Psalms was because, as I mentioned, I started writing this the summer of 2020 when the world kind of shut down and we were all mm -hmm. anxious and wondering what is going on and, and is the world ever going to go back to normal? And, you know, what is God doing in all of this? And so I was looking for comfort. I was looking for words to express my emotions that that I just couldn't find and I said right. you know the Psalms full of emotion full of especially David right he just you know the guy wears his heart on his sleeve and it's so obviously there um, and so yeah I mean the the thing that I keep coming back to uh, as I read through the Psalms and again especially with David but but with other with other of the, of the psalmists as well um, is you know every one of them or you know there's a lot of mention of uh, personal sin or the sins of other people Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of uh, mention of you know being cornered and, and not knowing where to turn and you know just feeling like you're out of options and obviously i think most of us can can under can recognize that that sensation that feeling because we've all felt that right like what am i going to do now lord right um and yet at every turn it's always god you are my hope god you are faithful god you are the one who rescues god you know you are you are near to the brokenhearted and and, and that's really what it comes down to. Like people will say, well, how can David, you know, as you mentioned, sin with Bathsheba, how can David be a man after God's own heart? Um, you know, if we had a pastor that, that did the things hmm. David did, we'd kick him out, right? We'd say, right. oh, you can't pastor this church anymore. You're barred from ministry for life. And yet we have no problem saying David's a man after God's own heart. And I really think it's a testament um, to two things. One is, you know, God's love and forgiveness, right? We're never too far gone. Um, but the other thing is that David, even in his sin, recognized that his only hope, his only salvation, his, you know, the, the only thing he could count on in this world was God himself. Yeah. He didn't, you know, he doesn't hide from God. When Nathan confronts him with his sin, he runs to God and says, God, I'm wrong. You know, created me a clean heart, cleanse me. Um, and that really, you know, that to me is the example we need. 
because none of us are going to get through this life, you know, oh, I avoided sinning. I'm good. You know, no, no, none of us are doing that. Right. We're all, we're all going to stumble and make mistakes. Right. Some, you know, some bigger than others, but, but we're all, we all need that rescue. We all need uh, God's forgiveness. And so that's what I think it means to be a, a person after God's own heart. Um, and, and I just think that comes through and it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, David is this hero of the faith, although in many ways he is, it really is a testament to who, who God is. He's the Amen. hero of the story. Amen. Um, Love that. I, John, did you have a favorite Psalm going into this? I think all of us have, you know, one or two that we might've memorized when we were kids or that give us comfort now. Did you have a favorite that you got a whole new perspective on after doing your research? Or? You know, my favorite, you know, it's, it's so cliche, but my favorite's always been Psalm 23. Um, sure. I just love the imagery. And it wasn't that like, you know, as, as you know, looking at it this time that some brand new giant revelation came, came upon me. I've read, you know, many treatments of Psalm 23, you know, people that dive into, you know, what it means to be a, uh, what it meant to be a shepherd in the ancient Near East and those kind of things. And those are so interesting and helpful. Um, but really the thing that, that jumped out at me um, this time around was when you think about a, a sheep, right? You always think about a sheep being part of a flock. It's part of a fold. And it's never really alone, right? When it's alone, it's in danger, right? You know, Jesus right. said the good shepherd, you know, uh, he's the good shepherd. He said, uh, the good shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one. But generally speaking, it's, it's a flock of sheep we're talking about. And yet Psalm 23, it's the Lord is my shepherd. He leads mm. me beside still waters. You know, it's, it's all very personal. Um, and I, you know, just kind of, as I reflected on that Psalm and was really thinking about it and, and kind of praying through it, I realized, you know, it's, it's this amazingly wonderful thing that it's hard to wrap your head around. God loves the whole world. He loves every one of us. He loves you, loves me, loves everybody listening to this, uh, this conversation. And yet he loves each of us as if we were the only one, right? Our relationship with him is so personal. And so we don't have to feel like just one in the crowd. We're not just one of his sheep. You know, when it comes to our relationship with God, you know, he, he is my shepherd, right? And and so I, you know, now when I read that Psalm, that's what jumps out at me the most is those personal pronouns, just that, that idea. And I just love it. It makes, it makes me feel like, you know, I'm, I'm just going to, I want to go spend time with the Lord Amen. because you know, he's my, he's my Abba father. And um, when I'm with him and when we are, you know, when I'm communing with him and worshiping him, you know, it, it's as if the whole universe stopped and it's just me and him and he's, okay. uh, I can just, uh, you know, be bowled over by his love. Hmm. That's a beautiful image there from John Greco today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. John is the author of a brand new devotional book called The Ascent, a devotional adventure through the book of Psalms. And we have a link to the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And John, I can tell uh, this research really had a profound impact, impact on you and influence as well uh, as you talk so glowingly about what God has shown you through the research of all 150 Psalms. I have to ask you this question because every now and again, it jumps out. There are a couple of Psalms that have like two verses, three verses. Yeah. They seem kind of random. Did you come across in your research for the book, The Ascent, any Psalm that you said, man, that's the weirdest thing I've ever read. I mean, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense, God. Why is yeah. this even in the canon of scripture? Which yeah. one was it and how uh, did you respond to it? Well, there are a few, I can't remember the number right off the top of my head, but there's a couple that where, um, I have to go back and look, but basically the the psalm is a total repetition of a previous psalm. Yeah, and it okay. made me go like, what? Why? Why God? Why are we including this twice? Right? His like, love endures forever. His love well, endures forever. It's like, that, why is but, that in there? Yeah, but I mean, like an entire psalm, just like yeah. you know, picked up and moved to a, and given a different number with maybe one. You know, they use yeah. you know Yahweh instead of Elohim. Yeah. You know, and and so you know, it's kind of like, why is this in here? And what it made me, you know, what I ended up walking away with is there's something in here that God wanted his people to go back and remember that it was that mm. important that he mm. said, you know what um, you need, you need to hear this again. And, and, you know, it's, 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 um, it's true for us too, right? I mean, how many times have you uh, heard a message, you know, maybe you're, you're listening to the radio or watching TV and you flip across a, a, a preacher and you realize like, oh, I've heard this before. And then you start listening and you, re and then you, you realize that what he's, what that person is speaking, you know, from the word of God, kind of hits you where you are in life now in a way that it didn't when you first heard it. Right. But it's, but it's, it's the same word, same, same message, but it hits you in a different way. And so I think that that might've been the case here. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of, there are a lot of uh, unique things that someday when I get the chance to ask God, you know, tell me why you put this together the way you did. Mm -hmm. um, because I can't, you know, there's on the other end of things, there's so many things in here, so many, so many little details in the Psalms that paint this picture of Jesus, you know, David lived a thousand years before Christ. And yet, uh, you know, there's all these 
pieces of Jesus's story, like verbatim, the details are exactly right. No one could do that unless they were, you know, the Holy Spirit inspiring, um, inspiring David. And so like, I know there's no, there's nothing haphazard about the Psalms. Everything is there for a reason. Amen. Uh, well, that's, you can't say it any better than that. John Greco is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, and we're talking about his new book called The Ascent, A Devotional Adventure Through the Book of Psalms. It's up at thebottomlineshow.com. John, one of the things I appreciate about this book is that it's very conversational. It's also very reverential. Uh, it seems like in modern culture, that's a tough balance for a lot of people to get. I mean, it seems like it's either super conversational and casual, or it's so reverential that it kind of drives people who might be new to the faith or might be outside the faith away from it. Uh, talk about how you struck the balance. In term, You mentioned this is a very personal book because Psalms like Psalm 23, when you look at it through the lens that you were looking at during the research, all of a sudden it's like, hey, the Lord is my shepherd. So these are all written to me or they're written about, you know, as if I were writing them to God, that type of thing. How did you strike that balance in this book? Yeah. So like there's kind of two things here, right? I mean, I'm uh, part of you know, who I am is I'm a, I'm a Bible geek. I'm a, I'm a student of the word and I, I'm never going to get enough, right? I'll mm -hmm. spend my life digging in and discovering uh, new treasures. But at the same time, you know, my job as a writer is to help uh, other people uh, join me in that, in that, um, in that discovery. And so what I wanted to do when I was writing this was write in such a way that, that each devotional would be, um, uh, compelling enough that you'd want to read it like this isn't I don't want it to feel like homework I don't want it to feel like oh I'm going back into the Psalms and I'm going to learn something that I'm sure is good for me but feels a lot like eating Brussels sprouts right I wanted <laughs> to make this so like yeah there's I mean there's silly stories in there about my kids and there's other you know illustrations that kind of help drive home and hopefully make um the the important point you know which is always something about God and his goodness but helps uh, the reader to remember them helps them to kind of be drawn into it um, and to connect, right? Because a lot of times, a lot of times when we read the Bible, you know, we're reading about uh, an ancient culture that is so foreign to our everyday life that it can be hard to kind of put ourselves in the shoes of the original writer. So I, that's what I kind of see my job as in many ways is to kind of help bridge that gap and help invite someone from the 21st century to, hey, come back with me to Bible times and let me help you, let me help you understand um, how, uh, you know, how David or, or one of the other writers, you know, how they lived, what, what these, the things that they're saying, what they meant to them. Because in many ways, if we don't have that, you know, kind of filter on to kind of look at this through ancient eyes, we're going to miss that. And so my hope is to help readers do that without even realizing I'm doing that, right? Like, yeah. you know, that's, that's the goal is to make it that fun that they just want to come back for more. I love it. Well, just from speaking for myself, mission accomplished, and I appreciate the work that you've done here. John Greco, the book is called The Ascent, A Devotional Adventure Through the Book of Psalms. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, in addition to johngrecowrites.com, where you can learn more about the things that uh, John, uh, the Bible geek, as he described himself, <laughs> has been writing about. John, nice to get to know you. Thanks for the book, and thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you so much, Roger. I really enjoyed it. What a great conversation with John Greco today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called The Ascent, and it's a fascinating look at the Book of Psalms, a devotional adventure through all 150 psalms. Uh, we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one but two copies of this book to give away, so you've just doubled your chances of being successful when you call in to win. Give Teresa a buzz right now at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, John Greco's outstanding devotional book, The Ascent, a devotional adventure through all 150 Psalms. 800-227-5278, uh, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break. When we continue, John mentioned the 34th Psalm as being one of the ones that he really found uh, some new inspiration and meaning on and doing the research on this. I, when we come back, I'd like to flip over a couple more pages to uh, Psalm 37 to share you with a share with you a story about how young, Western-leaning, American kind of Christian brains uh, can be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit simply by getting the, uh, the, the sequence right with regard to a promise that God includes for us in that psalm. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Newport Bay Mortgage will steer you in the right direction toward the truth about reverse mortgages. Owner Cliff enjoys educating every client and wants to debunk the misconceptions you may have heard. You'll see that an FHA-approved reverse mortgage gives you financial freedom. You can use it to pay bills, 
cover unexpected expenses, or watch your children and grandchildren enjoy themselves while you're still alive. Cliff informs you of the facts. Drawing from his 40 years of reverse mortgage experience, you must be 62 years or older for the FHA program and at least 55 for a conventional high-volume program. It doesn't affect any credit score points and can even be refinanced after one year. When considering ways to enjoy your liquidity in, before, or for retirement, you need Newport Bay Mortgage. Contact Cliff today. Visit kbrightradio.com slash reverse. That's kbrightradio.com slash reverse or 714-741-8080. NMLS 332959. Newport Bay Mortgage, an equal opportunity housing lender. My thanks again to John Greco, the author of the book, The Ascent, a devotional adventure through the book of Psalms. Two copies of this book to give away at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, that's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, before the break, I was teasing about the fact that, uh, tease, and not teasing in the nya, 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 but teasing in the, I said, hey, coming up, we're going to talk about this. That's in the industry, we call that a tease. Uh, John Greco and I were talking about Psalm 34 as one of the psalms that he profiles. Obviously, he profiles all 150 of them in this book, but that was one of the ones that kind of caught him by surprise. I will never forget the moment in my mid-20s. I was working at the church I was attending at the time um, with the high school kids, and I was teaching a Sunday school class. And this is back in the days when we didn't have a mega church. They, they might have worshipped seven, 800 people. But the high school group had maybe 20 kids or so, 25. It was pretty good size. And we're all sitting in kind of an oblong semicircle. And uh, we were talking about Scripture and which parts of Scripture were your favorite. And I had been reading through Psalm 37 with the kids. And so one of the girls shot up. She was a popular girl, probably 14, 15 years of age, cheerleader, you know, the whole shot. And, uh, you know, all the boys are hanging around what she was having to say. And so uh, I asked, uh, you know, what does this psalm mean to you? And, and the part she got to was Psalm 37, verse 4, where David says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will grant you the, des- the desires of your heart. And she said, oh, I love that passage. And I said, why is that? And she said, I love it because my birthday's coming up, and I'm going to turn 16, and I want a car. And I love God. And I know my parents know I love God. And so therefore, since I love God and God loves me and it's my birthday, I believe I'm going to get a car for my birthday. And she had a big smile on her face. No sense of irony whatsoever, what she just said. And I smiled and I said, you know, that's a great way of looking at this passage. But take a look at the phrase once again and see what it really says. I'm going to add a few words here. And I I don't typically, I try not to add, you know, go all amplified Bible on people, but to help folks understand, sometimes you need to add a word or two just to kind of make the scripture more plain. And so I said, how about this? What if we said, if you delight yourself in the Lord, then he will grant you the desires of your heart because the desires of your heart will start with you delighting yourself in the Lord. And the kids sat there and they kind of chewed on it for a little while. You know, the tongue kind of sticking out like, hmm, I'm thinking about it. And then you begin to realize, delight yourself in the Lord and he will grant you the desires of your heart because the desire of your heart will be to delight yourself in the Lord. It's amazing how the Psalms can give us that kind of insight from thousands of years ago that carries with us even to this day and how important it is for us to look at the facts, look at the information of what's happening in the world and say, yeah, but if we are delighting ourselves in the Lord, he's going to give us inspiration. He's going to give us wisdom. He's going to help us make sense of the craziness in this life. And the more we hang out with our brothers and sisters and let iron sharpen iron, the clearer that picture and vision will be. John Greco's book, The Ascent, the uh, devotional look at the Psalms is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Just a few more minutes to get your calls in at 800-227-5278 to win one of the two copies of the book. Uh, KCBC audience, Rabbi Schneider awaits you at Discovering the Jewish Jesus. We will reconvene tonight at 7 and then tomorrow at 10.30. For those who remain on the network, a very spirited edition of The Bottom Line Show's National Crawford Roundtable Conversation. And this week we're talking about, well, what do you think? How about immigration? That's right, a little follow-up to our conversation from last week. It's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues.